This is Nima Dinyari, and you're listening to Spark Science. Here we go. Neutron, proton, mass defect, lyrical oxidation, you're irrelevant, mass spectrograph, your electron volt, atomic energy erupting as I get all open on betatrons, gamma rays, thermal cracking, cyclotron, any and every mic you're on, transuranium, if y'all was uranium, molecule spontaneous combustion, Bam. law of definite proportion, gaining weight, I'm every element around. Welcome to Spark Science, where we share stories of human curiosity. I'm Regina Barber DeGraff. I teach physics and astronomy at Western Washington University. I am here with co-host, favorite co-host, Jordan Baker. How are you doing? I better be your favorite. I know. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I'm Jordan Baker. I do not have any teaching credentials. It's fine. Uh, I do drive a pickup truck. Do you? Yeah. Now you do, or did, have you always driven a no, pickup truck? No, I do now. Yeah, that's what I thought. Right. Because he's changed jobs, listeners. If you haven't been listening to season three, you might be surprised that he is no longer a butcher. No longer a butcher. Yeah. <laughs> uh, now, now I'm a home inspector. Yeah. I own my own business. Yeah. And I used to cut up dead animals. That's a big deal. Yeah. yeah. Um, so who you're hearing today is our guest, which he came all the way from Oregon, which is probably the my furthest. Pleasure. It is the furthest. It is the furthest. I've never even come from Oregon. And um, he is Dr. Nima Dinyari, and he is going to talk about quantum computing with us today and his background and how he got into science and what he's doing now at University of Oregon. So welcome. Well, thank you for having me, and I'm excited to meet you, Jordan, for the first time and actually get to know you, Regina. Oh, thank you. Uh, we've only met once in your yep. office. Yeah. When I came up last fall and you offered me the opportunity to come talk about stuff that I geek out on. Yeah. And so that's what our show is for. Should be right. a lot of fun. A lot's happened since then. Oh cool. So we have a lot to talk about, I'm sure. Awesome. I just like your mint green V next t shirt right hey. now. <laughs> there might be some pictures. Yeah, there'll be, <laughs> listeners, there'll be pictures on the Facebooks. Yeah, so, I mean, quantum computing is a really, really heady mm -hmm. topic. So um, I'm going to make you or ask you <laughs> to do something that's probably impossible. Can you give us a really short description of what somebody means when they say quantum computing? Yeah, yeah. I'll try my best. And then we're going to get into your background because we're going to make you a human being to our listeners. Yes, yeah. thank you. Yeah, we're all humans here, yeah. all as scientists. And yeah. you can be a scientist too if you're a human. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, if you're a robot, we love you too. Yeah. Don't well, the robots us. are in the background helping us out. So, of course, we depend on them. Right. We love them. Right. And when they are in power, don't forget that we said that. Right. And we're down to, you know, help you make this a better world. Well, yeah, we, <laughs> we will be your minions, no problem, robots. Yeah, we okay. documented that. Yeah. <laughs> as long as we get to go on vacation every once in a while. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, I mean, they're li uh, you know, the robots in the future are listening to this recording, and they're right. like, okay, these three cool right? yeah that's that's all we want yeah. and they're friends and because <laughs> you can't go on vacation alone you got to take some friends go enjoy experience and right. then when you come back to work you can relate on those great times maybe 10 10 at most that's all i want robots <laughs> i'm dead i'm just me really yeah. you have a child oh you're so yeah, i don't care about my child <laughs> oh my <laughs> okay this interesting already yeah. problems right now yeah <laughs> quantum we, computing if we wanted to talk about quantum computing maybe we should first start with regular computers, yeah, that probably so that we good. have a good foundation on the things that we all have in front of us. Mm -hmm. We each have our smartphones out; they're on the table. They are. So each, can... each of us actually. I hope Natalie can take a picture of this because we each <laughs> yeah. do have our smartphone right next to our mics. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> and and so computers have existed for a long time. There's a old computers that are mechanical computers that would calculate things, and uh, you would put in. Uh, your information, depending on how you assembled the gears, what maybe what the ratios were, and then based on cranking the crank, you know, you would put some other mechanical object like a punch card, and it would cr crunch away at those ratios of gears and where the holes were on the punch card, and then out would come in information like adding up numbers. Right. So you have these older computers, and then you start to get vacuum tubes which are now basically storing the information, whether there was a, a one or a zero somewhere, and they're using logic to make the calculations. So right. it's really simple math applied in a very basic way, and then by adding those things up, we can calculate information that's really complicated. And all that's happened between those mechanical ones that were 
pre-vacuum tube, which was pre-transistor. All we've done since then is scale up the power by packing more of those same things into a smaller area. And so we're using little devices. Uh, in your smartphone, you have a something gigahertz processor, and there's just that many transistors that can be measured per second, and that's what that gigahertz number represents. And, and that's what do you mean by transistor? Like, I mean, so like, give us a definition about, you know, the simplest definition of a transistor. A transistor is an electric switch. So in that nutshell, it's a switch that is either on or off. So the, the electricity is flowing or not. And actually, my expertise is in more the fabrication of the switches or of the potential quantum switches that we're going to talk about versus like, let's say the algorithms or the software that's used to make the switches do the calculations. Okay. So not, not the programming or the computer science yeah. part of it. But I'll talk, I can talk about that to okay. some degree, but um, my expertise is in how those switches are made. And they're a combination of metals, semiconductors, and oxides. So metals are like wires, like copper and gold. Semiconductors, you might have heard of like silicon, and then oxide, like glass. Literally, glass is an oxide, okay. uh, silicon oxide. So you combine those and you make these different devices, like your smartphone screen is an LED, which is a combination of materials that emits light. Your camera is CMOS or CCD camera, like in your SLR camera, you have a, a sensor. And that's another microelectronic device, and it's a combination of these different materials. And it takes advantage of some quantum properties in there. So light can get converted to a signal, or electricity can be converted into light. Um, and, so and in the transistor, there's yeah. these combination of materials as well that make it let electricity go through or not go through. And if it doesn't go through, it's a zero. And if it does go through, it's a one. And it's, it's kind of like in the abacus, each transistor is the little ball that can be moved around and mark a position that can be like referenced later. So when, mm. when you say quantum properties and you're saying light, I think if you've taken a physics course a long, long time ago, or if you've never taken a physics course, just to kind of remind you that when we're talking about quantum things, um, we're not talking about we're not talking about mechanical things. So like if you, you know, take in physics and you're like, this ball drops, you know, these are forces. This is the energy that we can kind of measure. That's kind of all like Newton stuff, mm -hmm. you know, things that Isaac Newton understood. And then you start getting into stuff where he did not understand. <laughs> and that's and that's dealing with things that are going at really, really fast speeds like light, um, things that are very, very, very small. What am I missing here, Nima? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that basically sums it up. Yeah. Yeah, so when you're talking about a hoop rolling down a hill, you don't need to worry about what the individual atoms are doing exactly. to know how fast it's going to be <laughs> at the bottom of the hill. Right. But if you want to know if the hoop, you know, conducts a current and, you know, how much current it's going to conduct yeah. after you apply a certain voltage, you might need to know about the quantum mechanics, especially when it gets small. When it gets very, very small. Uh, I've yeah. never wanted to know how much electricity a hula hoop can provide. I don't know. <laughs> you would if that was your only means of electricity. You'd be like, I only got this hula hoop, got this hula hoop. and, a, and Maybe a battery. Maybe we can create some renewable energy like Just a hula, hula hoop, hoop. Yeah. that like... Yeah, mechanical energy turning into electricity, then you'd care. Yeah. <laughs> I guess. <laughs> For that festival this summer. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's, you know, when you want to get off the grid, you know, and you right. just want to go off your own energy that you produce, hula hoops. Right. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Because I bought solar panels, so Did I didn't. Really? So I didn't have to move, but now I might have to. We might do another show on solar panels, actually. Oh, awesome. Wow. Welcome back to Spark Science, where we're talking about quantum computing. Yeah, so when I was talking about the quantum, I was just thinking, I, I picture things differently, and I appreciate you trying to draw that out. Yeah. Because, like, us scientists can be in our head and see pictures, and maybe we could talk about them. So 
when I think of like a camera on your phone, I think of this light bulb above us is emitting all these photons. There's yeah. billions of them. In this room. Yes. Yeah. And we're seeing each other through these billions of photons, but each one of those photons strikes the camera mm -hmm. and it produces an electron in the absence of an electron, which we call a hole. And these are these quantum particles that I envision that generate like this, uh, the signal in the CCD camera that becomes the image that we will look at later on Instagram or whatever. Yeah. So the quantum is the little particles that come together to uh, transfer information. I started off explaining this classical computer, these right. little switches that are on and off, and we just use logic math to calculate complicated things. And logic math are like this... It either is or it isn't. There yes. are these, these gates that we talk True about. True or false. True or false, yeah. So it kind of like, I don't know, was that binary or whatever? Yeah, pretty mm -hmm. much that. But I like, was making a quantum leap. There you <laughs> go. I love Scott Bakula. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, depending on some conditions input into the logic, you're going to get, based on that logic, a right. certain set of outputs, and right. you can combine those outputs into new inputs and over time you can calculate things like what's two times two. Right. But I mean, but a regular computer, even though it is dealing with electrons um, and current, it's not called a quantum computer because even just, I think at a certain level, current and electrons moving and even, even light bumping out an electron, it's still, I don't want to say simple, but it's still okay, like easy to kind of mm -hmm. deal with and you're not really diving into quantum mechanics yet. Mm -hmm. But now I think um, that video that you asked me to watch um, <laughs> explained to me that you have these transistors now, these switches that yes. are like smaller than a blood cell. Mm -hmm. So then when you start getting things that small, then you start having electrons behave or can behave in a quantum way. Yes, so that's the challenge that we're facing. I could have said problem, but scientists like to look at problems as challenges yeah. to continue pushing things forward. Some scientists do. <laughs> yeah, maybe successful ones. Yeah, that's true. Not all successful scientists are optimists, though. Right. <laughs> I think that's the key. Yeah. Yes. We've been basically packing more power into a smaller space, and that's you know a testament into these smartphones that are more powerful than the computers that were to calculating the code for the Apollo missions. Right, which were like the size of rooms. Yeah, yeah. The vacuum tubes and the rooms and the people like you know walking around and they're inside the computer. Yeah. And now, you know, no one's walking around inside of these smartphones. That we're we all, know of. That we, oh. Yeah, so, so now, instead of using this brute force method, we're being uh, actually, with the technology of packing more transistors into a smaller space, we've used that same technology to build quantum systems to then uh, hopefully implement uh, quantum computers. And actually, they're... There is a company that is selling them and delivering them to companies. Really? Yes. So they're they're called D-Wave. Okay. And lots of Googling and looking up on the internet, you'll find lots of great content on, you know, who's buying them, what applications they could be used for, and how they work. So okay. this company, if we step back, Intel is the dominating company in terms of fabricating the CPU, the, the brains of the computer or the smartphone. Mm -hmm. And so D-Wave came out and said, you know, we want to lead in terms of providing this product. And I don't know how much they cost. A bigillion dollars. Yeah, and they're one-off machines, and I'm sure they're getting better because the technology is getting better what very quickly. What do you mean quickly. by one-off machines? So Los Alamos National Labs puts in an order and they build one. Okay, it's not right. like a Dell on the shelf, you know. Okay. <laughs> They're like custom, <laughs> custom like. Uh, it's like an elf on a shelf. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, so you know, like Los Alamos National Labs wants to model some very complicated things that even with the most powerful computers would take a long time. It would take like years. Yes. Okay. So uh, to put some context, when the human, when the first human genome was sequenced, sequenced. Yeah. Thank you. That's alright. Uh, it took a year. For the, for the machine to crunch through all the digits mm -hmm. and calculate, you know, some 17 volumes of the, of the DNA of the human uh, right. genome. So right. now we can do, with just regular computers, uh, 10,000 genome sequencings every three months. 
So that and that's just using the brute force method. Yeah. It's still the old method, just better equipment. Yeah. Okay. So, you know, in the uh, late 90s, early 2000s, it took a year to sequence one genome. And the computer was the size of, let's say, like a server, you know, warehouse size thing. Mm -hmm. And now we have a little microfluidic experiment with a little computer. And it does 10,000 if, if it was ran at full bore uh, every three months. So wow. the quantum computer uh, will be tasked for problems that are very complicated that even a classical computer or a bunch of classical computers put together, we call those servers. Mm -hmm. So we have like super com uh, supercomputers if they're really well tuned and they're, they're designed for certain code to be optimized and the scientist knows how to write the code so the computer's really efficient at analyzing it. And still, like, they run code for weeks or, mm -hmm. or, you know, a long time to do these simulations, like aerodynamics of the fighter jet that some company wants to make. And it's this nonlinear differential equation to see how the material is going to behave at Mach 7. Yeah. Because they promised that it wouldn't blow up, you know, when it hit Mach 7. And right. they got to simulate that. To make sure it doesn't. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and so quantum computers will use a completely different technique so in the logic for the classical computer, each bit can be a zero or a one, mm -hmm. and it's measured and it's, it's known to be in that state. And so the way that quantum computers... In that state meaning either one or zero. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And then they basically just measure as the code goes through those transistors and uh, over time, Somehow it crunches up enough data to open that file and present, you know, that picture that we take at that party that we want to post on Facebook. You know, right. so all those ones and zeros are calculated with the software in your phone, and that represents the image. Right. The quantum computer, each bit is going to be given more information than just being a zero or one. And if the bits are entangled, these quantum bits or qubits are entangled, then you can have each of these bits being in different states at the same time. So it's exploring all the possible combinations of a problem rather than doing it uh, one at a time like a classical computer would, like what happens when the function's this variable and what happens when the function's that variable. And then let's make a plot so we can see the trajectory of like the airstream off of the back of the jet. The quantum computer will measure all those values at once or in parallel because of the architecture of the hardware and the quantum nature of these uh, bits of information. Right. And I, I want to come back to that. I want to really get into what we mean because I, th I think for our listeners who know um, a little bit about physics, I think that's a good starting point, but then actually going in and yeah. talking about what do we mean by entanglement? What do we mean by you know, multiple things at once. Um, but what I want to do right now is I want to take a break. And when we come back, I want to talk about how you got into this this field, what you actually do, what, what did you do? And then we can get into like the actual physics one mm -hmm. more time. I'm going to take a break from the hard physics. and Break time. Welcome back to Spark Science, where we're talking about quantum computing and qubits. I heard earlier, qubits, and that's, and correct me if I'm wrong, because I'm probably right. Uh, <laughs> when you say qubits, it's it's like a, a electronic cube that can uh, attach to another cube once they find once they find each other in like because they're entangled, right? Well, yeah, I yeah. mean, it's kind of like. A transformer or something, and all the all, all the parts come together and it creates something new. It's pretty close, right? The the qubits are physical objects, but they aren't cubes. And there's a lot of different potential qubits, and that's what part of my research was was exploring oh, cool. a candidate as a, a qubit. So, like, what could be a qubit? Yeah. Okay. So, 
when we're when we say qubit, we're just saying quantum bit. So instead of classical bit, we're putting the prefix q for q u onto the bit part to call it qubit. So, so that's that's so all like, that of, is. So you you insert ones and zeros, or you're dealing with ones and zeros. Now we're dealing with something that is more complex than a one yes, and a zero. Yes, it's rich, more rich. It's a it's a combination. <clears throat> so in quantum mechanics, what you might have heard is things can be in a quantum superposition. Nope. That's why we have. <laughs> have you have you heard of like the Schrodinger's cat explanation of quantum mechanics? That's like a, a classical one. No. Okay. Yeah. This will be good. We've actually, yeah. and, and being a science show and being a physicist, I actually am surprised I have never talked about this on our show. So this is, oh. let's do it. Is Nima, you win. <laughs> I win. Yeah. We, we're you all win winners. the Schrodinger's cat explanation. Go. Uh, there's a cat. This is kind of sadistic, right? It's a terrible story, but here you go. Oh, yeah, but it's a way of bringing it to the common person. That, you know, it's, it's, if this is going to be on the internet, we got to relate it to cats somehow. Yeah. And we just <laughs> did it. So the internet's happy that cats <laughs> yeah. have been mentioned. Mm -hmm. And I don't know who came up with this original story, but it's, it's kind of the one that's given to bring it to like more classical terms. So there's a cat that is in a box. And I'm in pretty that sure box, it's Schrodinger, right? He, he came I, up with I the story? So. I'm going to look it up now. Oh, man. Okay. <laughs> so the cat's in the box, and, you know, what will cats do? They nap. They're curious. They eat. They do other things like tear up your couch. But uh, this cat in the box has an option of eating some food or not, depending on its mood. And if it eats the food that has been poisoned, it will die. And if it doesn't eat the poisoned food yet, then it's alive. So, you know, you can't really measure the system. Like Schrodinger's not going to let you, like, poke the box. You're going to have to say, well, what are the, what's the probability of the cat being alive or dead? And you could uh, then, you know, make a guess. Okay, how long has it been? Or, you know, how hungry was the cat before you put it in? So you know some conditions. And you might guess. But until you open the box, it's in, like, some kind of probability of being in both. And that's the superposition kind of metaphor. Like, you don't actually know if it's a 1 or a 0, but it has a good probability to be maybe a 1. Maybe it's like 60%, it's probably a 1, you know? But at that moment, before you actually know, it's either, it could be a 0 or it could be a 1. Like, you don't know right. yeah. until you, you open get up that to box. that point and then it's 50-50. Right, but yeah. as soon as you open that box, you will know, right? As soon as you open the right, box, yeah, you're like, yeah. a live cat, woohoo, or it's dead cat. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Right. And, and the same thing happens with quantum mechanics. Like, until you actually measure a particle, there are things about particles that will go into, like spins and yes. all that kind of stuff. But there's like a characteristic of a particle, and you won't know anything about it until you actually measure it. And once you do, boom, it definitely is that then. But if you don't, you have no idea. Like, it could be either right mm -hmm. there's tons of cats yeah just waiting for and it was to be open it was schrodinger who i wonder schrodinger if, yeah schrodinger. i wonder if he knew the story would live on this his, long his is a little different it, it's kind like of his obituary yeah it, <laughs> it, it actually probably was um, related to that but it, his story is that there's a radioactive stuff um, in the oh. box and if it and if it decays randomly like radioactive material decays then it triggers a like hammer that will smash like poison and then the poison will like be in the box oh, okay so you have no <laughs> idea like randomly if this hammer is going to break the poison or not yeah uh. so so all these qubits like and when you say that it holds information have yeah. you thought about renaming it so people don't get confused with uh well so that's the thing is like right Q now QM most bits. that was one thing I was going to talk about a lot of humans don't really know how the phone works but they still know how to use it like you can hand this yeah. phone to a toddler yeah who doesn't even know how to walk and they're using the phone so uh you know the people who understand what's going on in there we want like the reason we're here is to get the the general population to appreciate science to learn about what's going on yeah and so maybe the language that we use could could be better at times <laughs> to help job, relay wow. that. Yeah. And I think that's a, that's an amazing, I think, statement that a lot of people don't think about is that we have all this like crazy, interesting, really difficult science that are all that's all around us. And we don't even acknowledge it. Like my nephew Van is two and a half and he can't put together like the best sentence. He's pretty good. But like, I mean, he's learning how to talk, but he like. 
he can manage a tablet better than I think most other yeah. children can, or even adults. His home screen's looking better than my mom's, I'm sure. Right. Organized, right. he's got folders. <laughs> Nothing against my mom, but... Uh. <laughs> My he, mom. he can help his grandmother with electronics, you know. I mean, well, like, finding things on YouTube and stuff. I'm like, wow. Oh, yeah. Yeah, and Pokemon hunting, he's really good at that. And I'm like, you're, like, and I'm mm-hmm. like, how is this possible? So is that how you got into it? You just saw a computer and then you were like, and you, like, knew how to do it? Well, the computers that we grew up with didn't have this intuitive user interface. No. And the feedback was not as rich, right? So yeah. this screen, the way you can touch the screen, the way the visuals get. Yeah, the, the bit, the thing that uh, gets uh, processed in the phone is an actual physical thing. And Yeah, what is it? So there's a lot of different proposed ones. So the the company that I was talking about earlier, it is okay. So let's talk about the classical bit first. Okay. So the classical and I swear we'll eventually get to like yeah the your classical life. bit. The transistor is a sandwich, and there's oh, a combination. So what kind of sandwich? Yes, it's a metal oxide oh. semiconductor sandwich. You yeah, wouldn't want to eat it because you might kind of like a club. Yeah, so just yeah. missing a little bacon, I guess. Okay. Okay. But uh, so it's basically. A three-dimensional structure that can store a certain amount of electrons in a corral. Okay. So there's little corrals where you can pump electricity, and uh, it stores that electricity. And, and if it has enough electricity, it's a one. And if it doesn't have enough electricity, it's a zero. Okay. So you've sandwiched a bunch of metal in between a bunch of insulators, so the electrons can get stuck in places, and then you can go later and measure if there's electrons there or not. Okay. So that's what a classical bit is. And they're just basically making little cubes, basically little yeah, cubes yeah. in the semiconductor. I like how Jordan's like, I am vindicated. Yes. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> little little cubes of uh, corrals cube and those beats. little charges go in there. But so the, the D-Wave company, I, I looked this up to understand yeah, their technology. This, these like millionaires. Oh, yeah. Yeah, they're going to make some, some Skrilla. So the quantum bits that they're using still involves electrons. So electrons okay. are a fundamental particle. They're found where you might learn about them in high school. Is there the things that orbit the nucleus of the atom that, you know, fill up the periodic table? We can just talk about static electricity, right? Yeah, you static can just, electricity. We can just say that, like, you rub your balloon on your hair or the wall or something. You're transferring electrons from one object to another, and that's why that's happening. You're making one thing more charged than the other. Yeah, and that's what's stored in those corrals in the classical bit. And in the quantum bit, it's a few or a couple electrons that are moving around in a circle. And that circle is made out of a metal that's deposited on the surface of a, another material that gives it really uh, good properties. So it's uh, they can cool it down to really low temperatures and the metal is going to have no resistance. And so these electrons that are traversing this loop can last for a long time. Okay. And so there are these electrons, and they're moving in an orbit <clears throat> that's the diameter of the orbit is on the order of like a tenth of a human hair. So they're, they're orbiting around, um, and there's a special material in there <clears throat> called a superconductor. And actually, the superconductor is a superconducting Josephson junction. I learned about this in in some time in, yeah. my, in my past. I don't I remember. I never when. learned about a Josephson yeah. junction. It's just so, so weird, like when I actually remember certain words from like school. But yeah. it's an alliteration, so yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's probably that's true. why it stuck with you. Yeah. Welcome back to Spark Science. We're talking to Dr. Dinyari from University of Oregon about quantum computing. So this 
this these materials, these superconducting materials. So let's talk about that for a second. Yeah, superconducting <clears throat> is something that was really hard. I think I remember in in physics and undergrad, I was like, what exactly is this? Mm-hmm. You know, it takes a while to kind of totally understand, but it took a it took humanity a while to yeah. totally understand. Isn't yeah. it just putting a battery on your tongue? <laughs> Nima looks so surprised. <laughs> no. <laughs> I mean, that's what I do. Yeah. Well, so your I mean, tongue your tongue is a conductor, and that's why you can get zapped. And it's not super conducting. It's just partially conducting. Mm-hmm. And then when you get, uh, like, a copper wire to connect, like, your battery terminals, um, that's a really good conductor. But it's not a super conducting. So when you send electricity through that conductor, it warms up. So there's some resistance and that resistance converts the electrical energy, the motion of those electrons trying to go through that pipe, let's say. They bounce around and, and just warm up the system rather than making it all the way through the pipe. Right. It turns into thermal energy. Yeah. So in these special materials that this gentleman was exploring during his PhD, he said, what happens if you take a little bit of the material and you separate it by a gap? And that gap is small enough that maybe the electrons on one side can tunnel through. This is like one of those quantum properties that are being taken advantage of for these quantum computers. Like what happens when it tunnels through? And so those properties are now being taken advantage of for the qubit. So, so let, let's let's take a break for the tunneling thing, like because uh, quantum tunneling is something that's I think you know if you're a physics major you learn about it, but if you are not you definitely don't. So like basically you have an electron and it has a path, you know, like it goes down this wire and it's like cool, I'm I'm an electron, I'm I'm current, right? But if there's a break, it stops, right? It's mm-hmm. like it's like putting a dam in a river, right? Yeah. If, if we're talking about current, we're always talking about water. You know, imagine that as like a river of electrons. And if you put a dam in it, it's going to stop. But quantum mechanics is crazy. And what, <laughs> what happens is that in a river of electrons, sometimes mm-hmm. a, an electron can actually tunnel through that dam, tunnel through that barrier. And suddenly, boom, that piece of that water, that electron of that river just hops over the, mm-hmm. the dam. And then suddenly now I'm flowing again. Yeah. And if, if the dam isn't what do we want to say, big enough, Yeah. Um, it's much easier to tunnel through it uh, yeah. with these like weird quantum properties. So is, is that... That's uh, very accurate. Yeah, thank you. Yeah. <laughs> I am a physicist. <laughs> yes. People forget. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, so that's the problem that the classical computer is facing is as they're trying to pack more transistors into a smaller space, there's less space between the individual transistors mm-hmm. and now the electrons are tunneling right there's nothing stopping them anymore yeah, yeah now they're they're so an electron is both a particle and a wave so when we were talking about the hoop rolling down the hill we just need to talk about like the particle the hoop the stuff the material yeah yeah but if if we were to begin to like think about how electrons behave at the quantum level they have the wave small, small yeah they have wave like uh, behaviors that allow them to be in different places at the same time. And that's where the cool stuff happens. And that's where the quantum computer is going to take advantage of that behavior to process the information instead of using the old, like, let's say, abacus style. Yeah. No, I, I really like that idea. And you said it earlier, this idea of, like, you know, if you're doing a huge mathematics and you just have to, like, do this giant calculation, you can just brute force it and you can just work through it on a piece of paper. Or I could do a graph or something and look at all the options of, I put in like, yes, I can put in numbers from one to a hundred for X and then I can see this line for all my Y's, you know? And so that's what quantum, like that's what kind of what you're saying. We're trying to get all the answers at once instead of just one at a time. Yeah, or as many as possible. Yeah. And so before the bit of information was a zero or one and the way they've engineered the qubit is it can be in a superposition of those two values so now that one bit has a lot more uh, information because it can be a zero a one a little bit of zero a little bit of one to varying degrees and now we've got richer information per bit and then 
Uh, what becomes even more uh, interesting is when things get entangled, how it explores um, all the possible solutions more quickly. Right. So these, these electrons that are going around in a circle uh, at a very low temperature and low energies begin to have these quantum properties, and then the computer can begin to manipulate it to process information and to probe it to like get an answer out. Right. And so when I was doing my PhD, it was a different flavor of quantum bit or qubit. And the main advantage of mine was trying to do things at a different wavelength of light. So right now, this qubit operates in the microwave uh, regime of radiation. So, you know, we use microwaves to heat up water because the frequency is at like 2.4 gigahertz, which is the resonant frequency of like the dipole of the water molecule. So I... I want to talk about resonance too, because that's something that's super, super interesting. Like when you say resonance of a dipole, I want to talk about that. But we gotta, we're going to take another break. And when we come back, I swear, listeners, we're going to talk about your background a little bit. We're going to talk about resonance. And we're going to talk about entanglement very quickly and then pop culture. Welcome back to Spark Science. We've been talking about quantum computing this whole time. No background of yours. We're going to get there. But I wanted to talk about resonance because you were talking about using microwaves for qubits mm -hmm. or to just normal, like qubits, right? Yeah. And how that it's related to the resonance um, of water molecules. It really resonates with me. Exactly. Mm -hmm. And I just want to real quick for our listeners just talk about resonance real quick. Um, so like Tacoma's and Narrows Bridge. Oh, yeah. Right? I drive a Toyota Tacoma. Yeah. Same thing. <laughs> Same thing. Do, so, Jordan, do you know about the Tacoma Narrows Bridge? Yeah, it was a, a Maxwell commercial back in the day. The guy was playing the stereo real loud. And, and the whole thing was going... Yeah? Ministry was the band. Really? Yeah. Whoa. Jake would love that. Uh, For our Washingtonians, we know that there was a big storm and the the frequency of the storm and the wind was the same mm -hmm. resonance frequency of the uh, of the bridge and what do we mean by resonance frequency is like if you like flick a, a wine glass it'll make some sound it'll be like ding and that sound is the resonance frequency of that glass. So if you take a speaker and you play that same sound, it's going to mess up that mm -hmm. that um, wine glass. What happens is if you you have a driving frequency, so like a, a frequency that's hitting that piece of material over and over and over again, like sound wave, and it's the same frequency or very, very close to the resonance frequency of that object, then it's going to exacerbate the vibration. And then the glass is going to vibrate even harder than it would normally if you just flicked it, and it uh, vibrates so much that it breaks. Mm -hmm. Right. Uh, Mythbusters did the episode, <clears throat> yeah. and they actually had a singer yeah. Yeah, sing it, and yeah. broke it. Hit yeah. the right with frequency. It with his voice. Yeah. 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 So, so, yeah. So I just wanted to give our viewers that, or sorry, our listeners kind of that visual of what we mean by resonance. If I if I was teaching like a class on resonance, we would maybe talk about like guitar strings, and you have like a, a certain length and a certain tension, and that guitar string can hold a certain uh, note, and that it would be resonant with that note. And then when the performer puts their fingers at different places on the string, they're changing the notes by changing the length. Mm -hmm. And so they're changing the resonance frequency when they pluck it. And velocity, the, the velocity of that wave is related to the wavelength mm -hmm. and the frequency. So wavelength times frequency equals velocity. Yeah. So that's the one of our frequent one of our physics equations you can walk away with. Yeah. So you're saying you're working with a different kind of light. So microwaves, X-rays, gamma rays, for our listeners, those are that's all light. It's all part yeah. of the light the light. Radio waves. Right. It's all part of the electromagnetic spectrum. So you're dealing with other kinds of light. Yeah. Well, so specifically visible light. Ooh. So we see in the visible spectrum and around the visible spectrum and then right next to it in the IR. So they call it the near IR. 
these wavelengths. The infrared. Right. Yeah, infrared. Sorry, I have an infrared camera, so yeah. I, I knew what it was. Uh, yeah. Is that for your home inspecting? Yeah. Sweet. What are you inspecting for when you when you yeah. use that? Uh, temp- just temperature differentiations, like making sure the uh, there's uh, sorry insulation in right. the walls. Oh yeah, yeah. It's uh, not just seeing if there's a, a dark heat spot, heat. like if there's a wet floor or something. Interesting. The heat registers are working. Oh, that's cool. A- that's super. In- that's important, right? Because how are you supposed to know that there's not going to be insulation in like that chunk of the house? Right. Yeah. Interesting. Or a rat infestation. Right. Oh, or, I, need, I mean, it happens. I need yeah. me to get. But so, the problem with the microwaves is is that they don't transmit far. So microwave okay. radiation right. uh, can't be put into a fiber optic and then you know send that signal around the world. Right. So we want to work with quantum systems in the optical or near-infrared, near-IR, because those are the types of electromagnetic radiation that can be put in the fiber optics that could then be distributed. Okay. So these quantum computers, they have these quantum bits inside of them, and the bits are manipulated using microwave radiation. So that's what's let's say, preparing the information and then doing the logic gates is using these microwave pulses. And then in the end, they measure the system and get the result out. And then that result is a you know, classical file that then if I wanted to share with my team, I would email electronically. Right, okay. In the future, it would be great if I can transmit quantum information. And actually... Without having it to be converted to something that's classical. Right. Okay. So I can generate quantum information in in my uh, computer, and I can send it over to someone else in its quantum state. And actually, that's one of the applications of quantum computers is quantum cryptography. So if I can create information that you could only decrypt using techniques that would break the laws of physics, then there's no way you can actually decrypt my code. Right. So I'm, I'm writing the information in a way quantum mechanically that there's no way you could break the laws of physics to like eavesdrop onto. Okay. So like the, the people who fund these projects want to have secure communication, faster processing, and so that's the leverage of the, the quantum computer, and that's why it's worth the big bucks like for Los Alamos National Lab to have a, a powerful computer at this point. And then if, uh, let's say, Lawrence Berkeley National Lab buys a quantum computer and they were happen to work in like the optical regime, they can link up their computers and make a bigger computer. So that's what we do when we build servers. We take a bunch of small computers and put them together and make more powerful computers that can you know store more information, process more information. And so if we want to link things up globally, we'll really need to work in the optical regime or the near infrared mm-hmm. so we can use our fiber optic networks to entangle not just the qubits on the computer, but the computers themselves to, to get a more powerful system going. In a crystal, actually, so I live in Eugene, Oregon. There's a lot of uh, hippies. hippies. <laughs> Instead of <laughs> eco-friendly <laughs> individuals, dead silence. Hippies. <laughs> eco-friendly well, individuals. Well, crystals, I remember going to Sonoma, Arizona. <laughs> my wife bought this like necklace, and this lady was like clearing the crystal before she could like send it on. Of its energy. Way. Yeah. Yeah. Clearing. The, so for our listeners, he's like making this <laughs> cup, mean, like, cupping cupping. his hands. Yeah. I don't know how how she cleared it, but right. It was done. Well, so you know physics and quantum mechanics has been appropriated by spiritual people because it does talk about these resonances and frequencies and colors of, like, chakras and and stuff. things that are, you know, one thing but also another and things that can, like, tunnel through, you know, can be at two places at once. I mean, it's all very – it sounds very mystical. I mean, I understand how it got – co-opted but Mm -hmm. it did but (laughs) the hippie the hippies are onto something because even the a person who might not associate themselves with a hippie they're they're using crystals these screens these cell phone components what the magic is is the crystal proper properties right so they're crystal display (laughs) 
Yeah. Yeah. That's one. Yeah. LCD yeah. kids. Or, or, or silicon uh, is could be in a crystalline form, and that's what gives it the properties that it can you know store and compute information very quickly. We're mm-hmm. taking advantage of that crystal. Mm-hmm. So the hippies, they might be on to something. And so I uh, was working on an engineered atom. So we have naturally occurring atoms that we would put on a periodic table. Yeah. And they're made up of neutrons, protons, and those go in the nucleus. And then there's an electron that orbits that. And depending on how many of those components they have, they're a different flavor on the periodic table. Yeah. And so those have properties like energy levels of where the electrons will be. And those are actually where the original like quantum bits were uh, being explored. But those experiments were really big. So they went to the jo- Josephson Junction so they can make it at a much smaller scale. So it would be like the smartphone version of the computer versus the warehouse version of the computer. Okay. And now we're trying to even make things smaller. And so in Diamond, there's this uh, defect or impurity which has quantum properties. And that's the one that I was working on for my PhD. So when you have a, a crystal structure and that crystal structure is actually filled with a certain atom, that's the crystal. And diamond is a, is, a, is a way that carbon can be brought together to make a crystal. Right. So graphite is carbon in a non-crystalline form. And then if you put that under high uh, pressure and temperature for a certain amount of time, the system relaxes into a crystalline form, and that would be diamond. So it's the same carbon. You've done some chemistry or physics, whatever you want to call it, and you've converted it into diamond. And it's just like these bricks on the wall here, they're in a pattern. And if I move so He's many inches... He's pointing out to the bricks behind us. Yeah, <laughs> if I move so many inches from brick to brick, you know, I'll repeat the pattern. It's going to be every six inches is a new brick. So in diamond, you have this carbon structure. And then carbon and nitrogen are very close to each other in the periodic table. So nitrogen can find its way into the carbon lattice, into, that, into the, a place where carbon atoms should be. And so that's the impurity or the defect. And there's some other special sauce that has to occur. But then when all those things come together, that nitrogen vacancy center in diamond at at really low temperatures um, will have quantum-like behavior like an atom can. Okay. So what kind of quantum-like behavior? Yeah. So so that's the, the, the important thing to ask. So... When we were talking about resonance, thank you. Yeah, great question. <laughs> uh, when we were talking about resonance before, we were talking about like the vibrations on a string, and we were trying to connect that to the microwaves shaking the water, the water molecules. molecules. Yeah. Yeah. So when we talk about the quantum properties of atoms, um, usually we're talking about the electrons in the atoms and what properties those electrons have, and so. I think early in the show, we talked about some different properties that could be in different states. So for a photon, it's the polarization that can be quantized. It can be in a superposition of vertically polarized, so the electric field is oscillating in the vertical plane or horizontally uh, polarized. Ooh, yeah. And so and that's something that's very complicated. Yeah. <laughs> and in diamond... The uh, if you put the electron in a certain state, like let's say you want to store the information, it lasts for a really long time. Okay. So that's the thing that we have to fight is the environment. So we're trying to create this quantum information so we can store it and read it out later. And the environment is trying, or I don't say the environment isn't a living thing. It's not trying anything, but it influences the system so that that quantum information gets lost. Well, we're actually running out of time, and it's just so, like, I, I think that we've talked about basically quantum computing this entire time and did not get into your background at all. Maybe that will be another time. But I do want to talk about, we got, like, a couple minutes left, and I do want to talk about pop culture. Okay. Because at the very beginning of this conversation, you hear quantum and computers, Jordan yells out quantum leap. 
let's talk about how the word quantum has been like co-opted in pop culture. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Or maybe just misused Mis- or misunderstood. Yeah. So quantum is a big deal. Like the prospects of quantum mechanics is a big deal, but it deals with things on a small scale and things at a very discrete level. Mm-hmm. So if I talked about a quantum leap, it's actually a small thing. Right. So we were talking about like astronomical leaps. That's big. So yeah. we made an astronomical leap in our understanding of something, not a quantum leap, because that would be like you didn't get much from it. Right. Like we didn't actually even move. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, but but we were talking about how like quantum leap the show. I mean, that's okay the way they used it because they yes. were talking about like time travel and they were talking Multiverse. about yeah and like you know technology and like. Ziggy showed up. Right. Consciousness (laughs) going into brains. I mean, crazy stuff, which is like quantum mechanics is crazy. So I think that's okay. Mm -hmm. But like how like where else is like quantum mechanics, I think, either misused in pop culture or maybe used really well. Can you think of anything? Well, so some people hate it or they love it, which is like the Big Bang Theory. Yeah. And, you know, if you take away the laugh tracks, it's like, well, everything actually actually sounds pretty flat. But they do do a good (laughs) job of like in the background and maybe there's like different props that they have that they try to bring that into the scene. And they I've I've heard them a couple of times, like talk about stuff. And I was like, wow, they actually sound like they know what they're talking about. They have a consultant. I was going to say, I heard something about that. Yeah. And. I didn't. I haven't watched Bill Nye's new show, but I, I heard it got mixed reviews because it it hit the the wrong audience that was looking forward to it, was hoping for more. Oh wow! But but I, I do know that like we no- want to get him on the show, so we'll, we'll <laughs> only say good things. I bet it's great, Bill. Yeah, Bill, we love you. Yeah, <laughs> you're doing a great job. Yeah, but uh, so like I Nova obviously does a great job yeah. of discussing the science and um, they they vet the people ver- very well, probably better than we did for this show here. No, no. <laughs> this is great. I've learned a lot. Like, I, I, I really enjoyed the way you kind of broke it down because, I mean, even as somebody who has a PhD in physics, there is a lot of stuff I do not know about the mechanics of what's actually happening inside mm-hmm. the quantum computer. Well, it's such a big problem that no one person can know it all. Some people know a lot more than others, but it is a team effort. And that's what's so beautiful about science is we're building upon like each other's work. And, you know, sometimes we question each other's approaches and, you know, there's something to be learned when you make mistakes and being a good scientist is learning from mistakes. I totally agree. I make lots of yeah. mistakes. Yeah, I agree. And I'm not a scientist. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> well, I want to thank you for coming all the way from Oregon my to pleasure. hang out with Jordan and I. Yeah. It was my pleasure to meet you two. Oh, thank oh, you. Stop it. We love compliments. Us radio stars. <laughs> no big deal. <laughs> thank you. Thank you again, though. My yeah, pleasure. Thank yeah, thank you. This is Spark Science, and we'll be back again next week. Listen to us on 102.3 FM in Bellingham or KMRE.org, streaming on Sundays at 5 p.m., Thursdays at noon, and Saturdays at 3 p.m. If there's a science idea you're curious about, send us an email or post a message on our Facebook page, Spark Science. This is an all-volunteer-run show, so if you want to help us out, go to SparkScienceNow.com and click on Donate. Our producer is Regina Barb DeGraff. The engineer for today's show is Natalie Moore. Our theme music is Chemical Calisthenics by Black Alicious and Wonderland by Janelle Monet. Lead, gold, tin, iron, platinum, zinc. When I wrap your thing, iodine, nitrate, activate. Right to radium, the only difference is I transmit sound. Balance with some balance, then you add a little talent in. Careful, careful with those ingredients. They can explode and blow up if you drop them and they hit the ground.